Welcome to Nutritank's podcast. When you tune in, you're going to listen to a fantastic array of speakers speaking about things in the following fields such as food, farming, nutrition, lifestyle medicine and other areas of health. We can't wait to have you with us on this journey. Millennials, coddled entitled, narcissistic, work shy and bloody lazy. We want to redeem millennials and give ourselves a good reputation. We have poured endless passions and hard work into Nutritank and this podcast. We hope you learn and enjoy. If you enjoyed today's episode on the podcast, then please subscribe to the rest of the podcast. Share it with your friends, family and colleagues. Give the podcast a five-star rating and leave a kind review. It will really help with Nutritank's mission to be the leading hub for food, nutrition and lifestyle medicine. I'm your host, Ali Jaffe, and welcome to today's episode on Nutritank's Nourish Your Mind podcast. Today is a very special episode as I get to interview one of my female healthcare heroes, Dr. Elizabeth Thompson. I first met Liz when she taught me on this course that I decided to do in second year called Optimum Health in Later Life, alongside her fantastic colleague, Dr. Duncan Still, an integrative medical GP. Liz showed me the wonders of integrative medicine and I became very curious from there on. So let's hear about Liz. Dr Elizabeth Thompson trained in medicine at Oxford University and completed her clinical training at Guy's Hospital in London, qualifying in palliative medicine. In 2014, she set up the National Centre for Integrative Medicine and is passionate about bringing conventional, holistic and lifestyle approaches together and how this can transform the modern healthcare system into creating more of a well-being model so that this creates greater choice for patients and practitioners. Dr Thompson is of course the CEO and founder of NCIM as a board member of the College of Medicine and the European Society of Integrative Medicine and President of the European Congress London 2020. Since starting Bristol Medical School five years ago, Liz has been a huge role model for me, always providing me with support. Not only this, but she is a fantastic cook and I can definitely vouch for that. She makes beautiful meals with her plants from her allotment. She mixes them in with a variety of exciting herbs and spices, which I'm sure we'll discuss on the episode today. I've worked alongside Liz to deliver the first food and mood course for Bristol undergraduates, which has been generously sponsored by Sebastian Pohl, an Ayurveda therapist and co-founder of Puka Herbs and the Earth Song Foundation. Liz was also a fantastic speaker at our most recent conference at the Royal Society of Medicine, and we are so lucky to have her in our Nutritank network. Follow Liz on Twitter, at ElizabethNCIM. And follow NCIM, which is at NCIM Healthcare on both Twitter and Instagram. Hi, Dr. Liz. Welcome to the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on this episode of all people. And it's a shame that we can't be in person, but I'm sure we'll be reunited soon in Bristol. So could you just start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and just how we've worked collaboratively in the past together. 
Yes, Sally, good morning, and how lovely to be talking to you even virtually. Um, and uh, strange times, these COVID times are strange, aren't they? So I'm a, a, a doctor. I, I um, left the NHS last year after 20 years in um, as an NHS consultant. Um, and I set up a new centre for integrative medicine, the National Centre for Integrative Medicine. And I guess my whole working life, I've been really interested in holistic healthcare. Um, and I might say more about why that is. But I think one of the things was that I, I, I was never able to relate to just the surface story. I always wanted to connect more um, to somebody to, uh, you know, allow them to express more. Um, and that used to get me into trouble as a doctor. Um, and um, what one big influence for me was my brother dying of cancer when I was still a medical student. So I did my undergraduate training in Oxford University. I really uh, loved that, partly because there were so many extracurricular activities. So I was a squash blue and I uh, sang in jazz bands and um, I just had a whale of a time. But I did decide that I needed to break out of the bubble of Oxford. So I went to Guy's Hospital and I did my clinical there. And um, yeah, that was a, a great place to be. But I, I did um, experience the very difficult loss of my brother. Mm. Uh, he was 26, I was only 23. And, you know, his care wasn't ideal at the end. Mm. I felt there was so much more that could have been done for his emotional and spiritual well-being. Mm. Um, and I didn't really realize how much that affected me, I guess. But what happened was that in my, um, in my senior house officer rotation, I did oncology. Um, and I really loved oncology, really connected to the patients there, and kind of crazily was in charge of a ward uh, when I shouldn't have been. So I, you know, really accelerated learning. Um, and so then I went up to Yorkshire to the radiotherapy centre there. And I, I really enjoyed that, but I was finding it quite technical, the whole of radiotherapy. And so at that time, I decided to do a hospice attachment. Um, and then I kind of found, okay, this, this palliative medicine is really for me because I liked the flat hierarchy. You know, there was real respect for the nursing teams. They had a lot of autonomy. As doctors, we were expected to work with emotional, social, spiritual, psychological health, as well as physical health. So I kind of found my home in that. And I decided to train as a, uh, uh, in palliative medicine up to consultant level. But at the same time, I also was training in neurolinguistic programming, hypnosis, homeopathy, uh, acupuncture. Um, and even as a medical student, I remember writing to the acupuncture society saying, can I train? And they said, no, just wait and qualify first. So even in, 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 you know, in those early days, I was reaching out for something a bit broader. And just to say how you and I connected, I was just blown away by your passion for this broader model for getting nutrition to be part of medical training which of course it always was Hippocrates you know knew how important food was how we lost sight of that 
Um, and so it's been really, really great to work with you. Um, and, you know, just know that you're, you know, with NutriTank, you're, you're actually building a whole new way of managing healthcare. Um, so, yeah, so that's our connection. And we've done quite a lot of teaching and we uh, had this idea for Food for Mood, didn't we, I think? Exactly. That, and we're going yeah. gonna to go right into that later on so we can tell our listeners about your pioneering approach to pastoral support in Bristol. Yeah. Wow, Liz, you have an absolute myriad of diverse skills beyond... <laughs> beyond you know one kind of pigeonhole it's it's amazing you really are uh, practicing what you preach with that kind of holistic um, model in mind and it's very interesting to hear your journey with it and how it was always intuitive within you before you even kind of heard about integrative medicine you were always reaching for it whilst even a medical student and through your own personal experiences with your brother and um, that tragic loss. And it's strange to think how, you know, there's still so many barriers with it, with my generation, but we're opening the door, we're breaking that glass ceiling. And yeah, it's good. It's good to really have these conversations and find out how it all began and what inspired you to set up your um, practice at National Centre of Integrative Medicine. So diving deeper into um, your experiences and how it was for you as a palliative care consultant and just throughout your career. So integrative medicine was something that was always intuitive to you. How do you think it was kind of received by um, your colleagues from, you know, an early age when you were just starting out in Oxford and you were that student that was, um, you know, exploring these options? How was that received by your colleagues? Was there support or was there, um, you know, scepticism or ridicule? And more to that, were you kind of in touch with self-care from an early age or was it something that you've kind of learnt as you go along because I mean for me when I speak to your generation of consultants and doctors all I hear is we worked ourselves to the bone because you know you had the much longer hours than us than you know I'm lucky uh, for my generation we have that European um, guidance on how many hours a week we can work and it just seemed like self-care was so little spoken about burnout was much more of a kind of thing back then so could you just tell our listeners a little bit about that yeah I mean one of the reasons that you know I admire you is you're you're a change maker so early on in your training in medicine I I think that um if I was to summarize myself at your stage I I was a good girl you know I was far too good to think outside the box and so, in a way, um, I sometimes just felt a bit alienated. Mm. Uh, I didn't really understand um, that the model I was in wasn't suiting me. I, and so my, my tendency was to withdraw from that a little bit. Um, you know, withdraw from the space of trying to do anything different. Um, and it was really only when I started to train in palliative medicine when I could see that other things were being offered that I I kind of had the the courage to then seek uh, this space a bit more but not consciously not 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 like not like you're doing I, I think actually it was only my own breakdown or burnout 
um, ten years ago, because uh, you can imagine, I I I was um, an NHS consultant again. Mm. I was doing all the right things. I was getting clinical excellence awards. I was, you know, got my medals, my good girl badges, and um, and I was, you know, going to my trust saying, you know, what about a well-being model? What about transforming um, healthcare? And they literally said to me we have absolutely no interest and instead of thinking that this was their problem Mm. I kind of felt that it was my problem um and I I realized I was just running out of energy but even then I didn't really understand that so now moving on to our common ground together the thing that is very close to both your mind and my heart is the food for mood course so um you very kindly let me join the course for free when you were running it for your clients the perks of being a student you know and i found the course so transforming and worthwhile that i proposed to you how beneficial it would be for you to pioneer the course at the university of bristol but primarily aiming it at university students who struggle with mental health, well-being, burnout, self-care issues, and need that kind of support. So Liz, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about the origins of the Food and Mood course and why you thought it was such an important one one, to run at your centre? And then we'll talk about how it got translated to the student audience. Well, I think nutrition is such a central part of our health and well-being it's the way we connect to nature to our friends to our loved ones to color to senses to taste um to self-care that you know these are all incredibly important um aspects of of food for well-being or nutrition um But we also know that there are some foods that actively support our neurotransmitters. We know that um, bowel health, uh, you know, we we didn't realise. In fact, you know what was funny is when I was in Oxford, my thesis was around somatostatin in the rat brain. I'm I'm afraid at that stage of my life I was cutting up a, a rat. I I used to hate it, but anyway, um, I would be there with a frozen rat brain. And we were looking at somatostatin, which we knew to be a gut hormone, but in the brain. And now we've realized that, um, you know, these neurotransmitters in the gut are are so important. So there are, you know, there's elements of self-care, there's elements of connecting to ourselves mindfully, but there's also food as medicine you know food as chemicals that can really activate so we've we've designed um you know a three-week course and crucially it involves eating which i know you and i love (laughs) and a shared meal is has been such a lovely thing but again with covid we we had to stop so we've only done one so far so we do have funding for another couple so your listeners hopefully will be able um, in fact, I don't know, are people going back to uni in October? I'm going back to placement in July. Um, they've decided for two weeks. Um, haven't been given the exact time frame when in July or the hospital. And then we are going back in September. So that's the medics 
I don't know about the rest of university because I tend to delete those emails. <laughs> I think it's probably yeah. October. Well, I think we will be running an, a new course for, you know, new people uh, coming into uni. You know, we know that's, and I remember you reminding me that's a particularly stressful time when you yeah. you leave your family. It's a huge and, transition. It, yeah, you know. it's a huge transition. And uh, we, we run the um, Food for Mood courses from the hubs, you know, around uh, within your living areas. There's a, a lovely one just by Colston Hall, uh, which is really set up um, for us to be able to demonstrate top tips. And the key thing about the course is about what can you do the following day to change the way you do things. And I remember, I remember. I don't know whether you share, you started to make changes straight away when you attended our Food for Wellbeing at Babesmith. What kind of things did you do? Because I remember you talking about mm. that. So this was a while ago. So I've been on this journey with, yeah, my own dietary changes and whatnot um, for years now. So when I was at your first one, I think that was three years ago. Yeah. And around exam times, I, or, you know, a stressful assignment, I just, I, I still am, but it's very much, um, you know, I found other methods. I'm an emotional eater. So I'd find that if I was studying late, I'd also be eating late. And the things that I'd be eating to kind of keep me going and stimulated would be sugary foods. And they'd be things that I'd think of in my mind as, oh, you know, I've, I've learned all about the drugs um, for psychiatry. That's such a good triumph. Let me have a treat. And it was a, quite a weird kind of... Um, reward system I'd started in my own brain and I think sometimes with revision it definitely went into overkill and so I then found that my sleep was being affected by it because I was having sugary foods at night and then I'd feel sluggish the next day I'd be having more caffeine and it's just all that kind of knock-on effect and so I remember discussing at the food and mood course about you know how to kind of have more um, healthy, lower in sugar, uh, sugar balancing snacks like nutty dates, energy balls and things like that. And also, um, as I've discussed this with Trevor, when he lifestyle conversations me, I have, I'm a massive yogi now. Um, I absolutely love it. And I know how to support my stress so that I don't fall into habits of comfort eating, emotional eating, whatever you want to call it. And I can rather, you know, take a step back and do a yoga flow, a really short one um, that will just stimulate my mind, body and brain. So, I mean, that worked for me. Um, but, you know, it's not to say I don't go through periods where I am still, I love, I love my cakes. I'm not going to lie, Liz. I love cakes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I always think the 80-20 rule. 80 exactly, 80-20, a bit of balance. But I think what you highlight um, there, Ali, is, is, and why we include it in the Food for Mood is just understanding models of stress because yeah. sometimes we don't understand, you know, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems well enough, you know, to realise how to activate the rest and uh, restore and what we're doing to activate the flight and fright. And so we, we the, the way we set up the food for mood is, you know, we have a practical element, we have a seminar element, then we have a shared meal. Um, and in week two, we focus on, on bowel health particularly um, 
and have lots of beautiful foods. We make kimchi. We uh, have a J- Jerusalem artichoke foam with sourdough. You know, it's yeah. um, lots of yumminess. So yeah, there are different th- th- there are different components to it, but um, I think we we try to set it up to pack as much uh, experience and information as possible into it. Absolutely. And I went to nearly all the sessions and it was wonderful to see the turnout of students. You know, it wasn't just medics at all. It was for the whole university and it was lovely for me to assist and then um, meet meet the other students and discuss with them how uh, they find the course. So tell us a little bit about the feedback you've had. Um, Did you get any um, students just wanting to really share how it may or may not have benefited them? Yeah, we, we do uh, try always gain feedback on the course. And I think, you know, for some people, it was a bit of a lifesaver because what what we realise is that mental health issues are very, very common. Eating disorders, very, very common. Um, and so, yeah, we got feedback that it had really helped, that people wanted more of it. They'd also love to have... Uh, like an ongoing session Mm -hmm. where they could dip back in because you know there's no doubt about it you get re-inspired um through uh you know when you're making change you need someone to kind of remind you um so that that theme of sustainability is quite important and when we've run all three courses we'll really need to think about what we can do there to create something a bit more sustainable. Absolutely. And so um, you mentioned that Sebastian Paul, who is the uh, founder of Puka, he sponsored this course. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about the roles of herbs and spices in food and mood? Just really briefly, I know that you have his Puka tea out where, um, at the yeah. sessions. Yeah, well, even like, creating um you know a fennel tea from fennel seeds absolutely gorgeous aromatic uh but very very calming to the gut you know so ibs is a a problem for a lot of people particularly when tension and stress is rising so simple things like teas like a lemon balm melissa uh aficionalis is lemon balm which you can just pull out of the garden you can make a, a tea late late at night and uh, it has natural sedative qualities or chamomile, uh, you know. And in my life as a holistic doctor, I use so much um, herbal teas. They're mm. just out there um, that people can start to connect with. Um, you know, in the puka nighttime, you've got lime, which is a very beautiful sedative, and oat, avena sativa, um, but otherwise, think of things like star anise, you know, yeah. that you might pop into a lovely noodle broth. That is um, antiviral. Uh, that is where, um, what's, what's that drug that we use for conventionally antiviral that in the swine flu they had loads of it? I've just forgotten the name of it. Oh my um, goodness. You're, tamiflu. Yeah. I'm not going to get it. There we go. Okay, it's Tamiflu. <laughs> Well, I was amazed to find they derived Tamiflu from star anise. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, I could go on and on and on Mm. with herbs and spices. They're just 
Yeah. Absolutely crucial. But the other the other one, you know, big one to mention in terms of anti inflammatory diet, you know, turmeric, ginger, mm-hmm. cinnamon to work to modify blood sugars. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just posting on our website uh, dr t's granola because i've added turmeric into my granola i sent you a picture didn't i yeah no um, you didn't i'm gonna i'm gonna oh, I'll you a picture of, of a tray bake um of granola looking yellow <laughs> but yeah. it's a great way to get it in to get it in and also um, my dressing i think i did send you that one. yeah the dressing is um, an absolute 10 out of 10 and i'm actually yeah. i'll post it on our social media your turmeric uh, salad dressing it's delicious We've made a nice uh, little version of it, which uh, Chantal could send to you yes. to pop up. It's really, I could, we could put the granola one up as well. But Definitely. anyway, um, it's just always ways of kind of consciously thinking about what's there in your food already, but what you can add as well to really optimise um, that anti-inflammatory diet. Exactly. And, you know, just by having um, herbs and spices and all plant-based foods, you're doing wonders for your gut health. And I think it's really cool that you've really practiced what you preach and tried it out with recipes in an easy way to just get it all in. So, um, yeah, we'll definitely post that um, for our listeners to see. So um, in terms of Pooker, have you worked with them in any other ways? Um, is there any chance of getting this food and mood course rolled out at other universities? Because, you know, I saw the benefits firsthand that these university students had from it. Well, that's a great question to ask, Ali. <laughs> um, and I would, yeah, I would love to work with Puka more closely. Um, but that question of sustainability, um, I think even Bristol Uni, when they, you know, when the health and well-being team saw what we were doing, and um, actually helped out as well, they, they, they really, I think, got excited about it because they realised, oh, this is important. Yeah, absolutely. So just starting to wrap up now. Uh, from your opinion as a doctor who has completely transformed their practice and has had that reawakening like you described so beautifully with your journey in this world of integrative medicine what advice would you give to current medical students or doctors later on in their career who have had this mind shift um, mindset shift um, if they wish to learn more about integrative medicine yeah I want to give them the message that you're not alone. If um, if the deeper experiences of life, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, uh, are important to you, you're not alone. Everyone makes their choices, and some people like to relate to life in a very practical way, and they're so important. People who do that are so important. Um, you know, when you go into A&E with a heart attack, you don't want someone asking you about your feelings. Mm-hmm. You want someone with a skill set, with an algorithm to really um, activate that acute care. But behind that acute care, you, you do want to be seen as an individual. You want to be recognized as a very precious, unique individual. And in the same way, we, we each of us need to be recognized in that way. So I think that 
sometimes when you qualify and you get very busy, um, busy with bodies, uh, and body is machine, sometimes you can lose your own connection. So anything that you can do as you qualify, uh, stepping into nature, um, making a beautiful meal, even when you're on your own, you don't need to be with friends to do it. Do it because you you love the feel of the fresh lettuce or the... I, I went down to the allotment uh, last night and picked all the broad beans. There were so many broad beans. Um, and, you know, just tearing them off um, the, the plant and, you know, throwing them on, you know. In other words, I was throwing the empty plant mm. stalk onto the compost, knowing that everything would be changed and recycled. Mm. And I could feel it, you know, after a long day's consulting, just restoring me. Mm. So I think, you know, get out there, eat well, meditate create space for quietness um look after your introvert self covid's allowed the introverts of the world to, to unite um and so there are lots of ways that you can look after yourself and hold true to your your vision and your dream because people will really criticize and knock you off balance sometimes um but yeah just know that you're not alone with it and I think that is such good self-care and just well-being advice in general. And you mentioned your allotment. Um, I think it's such a brilliant thing that you and Trevor do. And I know that you do that day that was offered to me on the culinary medicine course, but sadly I wasn't around uh, that day. Um, we were filming, <laughs> I remember that day, we were filming with Jamie Oliver. It was all a bit crazy. But you took the medical students to that botanical garden by Stoke Bishop Halls and showed them the medicinal plants and gave them a tour. Could you just tell our listeners a little bit about how they can connect with nature despite not having a garden? I think this comes so, you know, comes so right at a time where COVID has really made it difficult for people in kind of an accommodation that doesn't, you know, um, provide green space and how can they get out and feel that sense of well-being. So tell us about that guide that you've once shown me before. I don't know who created it, about all the different allotments and green spaces around Bristol. Um, yeah, that was actually uh, created by a team in Bristol Green Capital um, so that people would kind of be able to connect to different growing spaces and different green spaces. I think I said, Ali, that when I went over to the Botanic Gardens and met with Nick Ray um, about four years ago now, um, no undergraduates were using, medical undergraduates were using the Botanic Gardens as a facility. Um, unfortunately, because of COVID in our six-week programme of teaching starting next week, um, I, I I can't take them at the moment, but mm. maybe by week six I can, mm. because at the Botanic Gardens, which is part of Bristol University, do get there as soon as it reopens, mm. because there's the most amazing Western herbal garden, mm. and you and um, luckily there's lots of signs to tell you what everything is, um, but there's also a beautiful traditional Chinese medicine mm. garden. Uh, there's been a tea planting, uh, Thea sinensis, um, you know, is is, um, is the tea plant. And, and green tea, we know, has amazing anti-inflammatory 
properties, but so does tea in general. Mm. Um, and by the way, Ali, it might be really nice to um, for your listeners to link to a beautiful video that my son and I did in the Botanic Gardens, and mm. you can go on a virtual tour with me. That's, I was I was about to suggest that for your students. <laughs> I was going to say if they can't get there in the next six weeks, we're starting to do virtual tours with organic yeah. farmers to show yeah. our audience. You know, you can show them exactly that and say, yeah. "Look at what you can do when the time is right." Just some tips for our listeners. How do you start up your own allotment if you do not have access to your own garden, but you really want to connect with nature and feel that self sufficiency that I think is so kind of um, ancient within the human condition to be able to produce your own food, grow your own food and be in touch with nature? Yeah, so, you know, if if you haven't got a balcony uh, or, a, or a window out to the sun, it, it, this might get a bit tricky, but in Sainsbury's or any, I guess, any supermarket, they sometimes sell uh, salad leaves in soil. Uh, what we found is if you plant those up just in a, in a nice big pot, I've done this, yeah. uh, you, you, you plant it up, they, they will grow and you will just pick them a single leaf. You'll have your own salad every day um, once you get going. And all you need is soil and some external light. Um, the other thing... Um, that's so lovely to grow from seed is basil if you do that um it's it's a bit late this year although you could probably still manage it but get some basil seeds you know put them in a little pot they'll grow then put them in a bigger pot Mm. they'll grow a bit more um just try tending to a few things but when you get that basil growing and you're tearing it off and putting it in your spaghetti um or your salads your tricolori salad with your avocado oh my god you're in heaven and you will have grown it yeah um but also i love this gorilla growing so you know there may be in your student block a raised bed that's gone you know gone to the dogs just start planting in it um, mm-hmm. No one, no one's going to mind," she said. <laughs> well, not, not even if it's an area that's not being looked after. Yeah. And it is fun to to grow food. So, like last night on the allotment, I was um, harvesting the broad beans, but the peas are looking so beautiful. And the other thing, just is is not not to eat, obviously, but just for the colour and the scent, are sweet peas. They grow so easily. They, they need something to climb up, but you yeah. can get some fun sticks, you know, some yeah. barbecue sticks and stick it in the pot. DIY. Let, let them climb up. And then you've got colour, you've got basil, you've got lettuce, what's not to like. And if you do have an outdoor space, get a tomato grow bag, stick it on the ground, knife it through, stick in three tomato plants that you can get from mm. a lot of... Um, grocers are selling plants at the moment because it's been difficult to get it in covid stick them in uh water them well you will have fresh tomatoes just put it somewhere where it's south facing Mm. so it gets lots of light against a wall um but you can get special hardy outdoor tomatoes Mm. so yeah and once you just start to do a few things you make it sound so doable i think you know (laughs) it can be very daunting for like youngsters especially whose parents 
never did yeah. gardening so you know it's a new skill yeah. that they're learning and I think it's even if you don't have a farming background you can do it and you can do it easily and I think we're going to get you to do you and Trevor to do a video tutorial for us to really see I, I, it yes. See I just person. remember, we always need help on the allotment, and if yeah. you help, then you'll, you'll get the other thing. Um, just one more story, which I love, is, is that last year, the lady opposite gave me a single bean called a lazy housewife bean, <laughs> and I tell you, it was like Jack in the bean store. I thought, this is ridiculous, this is never going to do anything, So, I, uh, and she had, had a way of creating... Um, the plant pot through with paper, a special thing from Germany to make a plant pot out of paper. I just put the whole thing in the ground. It grew and it grew and it grew until I had 100, 200 pods. Wow. I was like, oh my God, this is really going up to the giant in the castle. It's amazing. <laughs> and I think, you know, what would be the coolest thing is to do a seed exchange. And, you know, it's such a cheap gift. Like you say, a lady gave you one bean with yeah. a very silly name. And look what it produced. So imagine if students and school kids could do that. You know, it's such yeah. a low cost way. And it's super engaging and fantastic for your mental health. So yeah. moving on to our final fun questions. Um, what would be your one desert island herb if you only could have access to one herb what would you take with you oh that is tough that's really tough but i i think if it was only one i would take mint nice okay because it's wonderful for the gut you know it's a digestive it's beautiful uh, with yogurt and cucumber in a raita. Satsiki. Um, and it's just, you know, it's so versatile. Um, it's enlivening. Yeah, no, I agree. I've just made um, a lime and mint ice lollies. So, you know, those oh, containers wow. you get. Yeah, because it's been so hot and you just kind of want to suck on something sweet and yeah. with a punch. Yeah. Um, okay, and then what would be your favourite pucker tea? I know you're a pucker fan like me. Yeah, I have a major range of pucker teas that I love. Um, but I do love that nighttime tea mm. uh, with the lime and the oat. Um, I drink it in the day because uh, I love it so much. Delicious. I said to them uh, last week when I was talking to Ewan and Simon, my favourite is um, the Tulsi Clarity, which is oh, holy yeah. basil. Um, I absolutely yeah. love it. I just think it has the punchiest, most refreshing taste. Yeah. And, um, do, and do you remember I, I said that the, um, the mint family, Tulsi is one of the mint family, the Lamiaceae, uh, they're really good as antiviral um, as well. So, mm. you know, just increase all those mint, oregano, marjoram, mint, tulsi, mm. all beautiful things for your health and well-being. Absolutely. And then the final question, which I will ask all my guests, and one that I know you're probably going to struggle with because you're such a foodie and such a great chef, but what would be your ideal last supper? So, very morbidly, um, if you had one day left to live, what would be your ideal starter, main and dessert? So, health can go out the window, if you wish, or it can stay with us. Okay, so, um, again, it is tricky, and but because it's summer, 
for my starter, I would have a gazpacho. I, um, uh, yeah, uh, Rupi came and had dinner with us, and I did in a gazpacho, which he's put in his new book with his own Rupi twist. Aww. But I, I do love a, a gazpacho soup. And I do, I really love Italian food. I know pasta's not good uh, in terms of carbohydrates, but, um, but you know, like sometimes just really quickly, I will mix a little bit of pesto with creme fraiche and then uh, cook some spaghetti al dente, uh, mix it in, toast some pine nuts, uh, have a squeeze of lemon and a basil, um, fresh basil on top. And to me, that's heaven. Um, but for my pudding and with my last meal and no calories uh, to be trouble, I would love a New York cheesecake. Delicious. Uh, strong on the lemon. Um, and I just love cheesecake. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? And that's why we get on so well, because Italian food is my absolute favourite. Pasta is my yeah. number one thing. And just a little bit of truffle, a little bit. My, my happiest moment was uh, in the Nagombo Park on the island of Ischia, where they uh, just rustled up in this restaurant on the beach, spaghetti alla vongole. But, like, I've never tasted it since or, you know, just, oh, yeah. magnificent. So I sometimes try and do that, but not as well as they did. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Liz. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We covered so much ground. And thank you for paving the way in the field of integrative medicine. Thank you, Ali. Lovely to talk to you. Wow, another wonderful guest. Stay tuned for new episodes on Nutritank's Nourish Your Mind podcast. Nutritank is an award-winning, innovative information hub for food, nutrition and lifestyle medicine, with a current mission to improve nutrition and lifestyle medicine education within medical training nationwide. Nutritank aims to empower healthcare professionals and members of the public to improve their health and well-being through diet and lifestyle modifications. Visit Nutritank.com for our membership packages, follow us on social media and join our community. Bye for now. Please note that this podcast aims to educate and not to replace healthcare professionals' advice, so please continue to seek help from your nutritionists, your dietitians and your doctors. Thank you.